0: You want to know something? Nobody is really prepared for life here who has not learned some basic principles of money management. Do you agree? I mean, just the way it is. I'm not talking about eternity. I'm talking about life here. Nobody is really prepared to live it skillfully without some basic understandings about how to manage money. The Book of Proverbs. That's what we've been drawing on for a number of months at this point. As a repository of wisdom, meaning skillfulness in living life. A loving Heavenly Father who gave these insights primarily through Solomon by extension to us. wants us to be able to live life with skill. And therefore he has given us guidance on all life issues. Including uh, the one that has to do with money management. And specifically whether we should assume financial responsibility for another's indebtedness. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So we're in Proverbs chapter 6, just a few verses. Proverbs chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 1. This is what it says. My son, remember Solomon is writing to us, but he's using his fatherly concern for his son as the opportunity to teach all of us, particularly those of us who are sons and daughters of God. My son, if, if you have become surety for your neighbor by the way did i pronounce surety it's not surety, is it it's surety okay good 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 if you have become surety for your neighbor have given a pledge to a stranger if if you have already become obligated to some someone else's indebtedness maybe your heart your your soft caring heart had gotten ahead of your head and you, you gave your pledge to someone to assume responsibility for that person's debt. Maybe you did that. So, you, so you're, you're in this financial obligation now. That's a scenario being presented to us here. You've given your word. Uh, you've made this commitment. You have become surety for somebody. A surety is somebody who has accepted responsibility to pay a creditor. In the event, the borrower fails to pay. A surety is someone who has co-signed, or in some other way, pledged to pay someone else's debt. Now, if you have the King James Version of the Bible, listen to how it reads. It's quite wonderful. In this case, my son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou Listen to what it says. If thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger. That's what it says in the King James Version. What did that mean? In the old days, if you struck another's hand, it sealed the deal. It was the equivalent of shaking on it. So in this case, it would be somebody who would strike the hand of a creditor so as to say, if this other person, the debtor, fails to pay his debt, I will satisfy it for him. It was the striking of the hand of the creditor that was uh, the same thing as signing on a contract in those in those days. Now, uh, let me just say it at the outset, I think I think as you will see, we would be stretching it a little bit to say that the Bible absolutely, in all cases, prohibits this kind of thing. Uh, but it is accurate to say, at least this, it strongly discourage is it. In fact, listen to these two verses also in Proverbs uh, on the specific subject of co-signing a loan or assuming responsibility for another. Listen, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 18. Excuse me, first Proverbs chapter 11, verse 15. He who is guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it. But he who hates being a guarantor is secure. So if that is not a uh, prohibition with the force of commandment, it at least is a strong discouragement from assuming responsibility for another's financial indebtedness. How about this one? Proverbs uh, 17 verse 18, a man lacking in sense pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. And so you see, at the least, uh, the scripture tells us it's not at all wise to entangle ourselves in pledges to assume financial responsibility for the debt incurred by another. However, this is the context, if you're already in that situation, what do you do about it? Verse two, if you have been Snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth. In other words, if you've been trapped by your own words, maybe emanating from good intentions and a good caring heart, nonetheless, they were reckless. If you've been trapped by your reckless words and you've gotten into this obligation, do this, verse 3 do this then, my son. And deliver yourself since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, humble yourself, and importune your neighbor. So this is very wise counsel if you've made a commitment to, for instance, co-sign somebody else's loan. You've got to do something about it. Why? You see, you have come into the hand of your neighbor. That means you no longer have control over your own finances. That means, based on your pledge, your words, reckless so they may have been, your neighbor, the one you cosigned for, now is the one who has control over your uh, finances. Now, if this is the case, the text says you should go, you should humble yourself, a serious uh, statement and importune your neighbor. In other words, you should beg that person for release from the rash promise you made to pay his debt. The sense of the text is you should keep going. You should don't take no for an answer. Don't sleep, don't eat. Fall on your knees if need be. You should humble yourself. By the way, literally in the Hebrew, see the phrase humble yourself? It means you should be willing to trample on yourself. Uh, literally, your own pride. You should be willing to trample even on your own pride. Your your heart got ahead of your head. You should, you should beg uh, your friend or family member for release from the financial obligation you got yourself into. Now, why is this matter treated with such urgency? Well, it's because of the seriousness of the consequences which would come your way in the event uh, that the debtor Uh, fails to pay off his loan to the creditor. The surety is liable for all the penalties to be imposed by law because the debt has, in essence, become your debt. You took on the debt as if it's your own. And here's a glimpse into what some of these penalties were under the ancient Hebrew law of debt. Proverbs 20, verse 16. Take his garment, the garment of the surety. Take his garment when he becomes a surety for a stranger and for foreigners, hold him in pledge. You run the risk of forfeiting even your own necessities of life, a garment, if the one you pledge to uh, fails in his financial obligations and you can't meet them. Well, the Hebrew law of debt said, well, let's just take that person's material property. Furthermore, listen, Proverbs 22, verses 26, 27. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantor for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? You see, you co-sign on a loan. The other person fails in his or her obligation. You've already pledged to assume obligations. Well, when the debt becomes due, you don't have the money. You made a promise. You meant well. But uh, future events took place you didn't anticipate. And now, what are you going to do? The creditor could even take your bed. You see, the necessities of life are uh, in jeopardy when you co-sign. Not only that, uh, other Hebrew scriptures say you could even be sold into slavery. If you have uh, assumed responsibility for someone else's debt that they have defaulted on and you can't pay it, you can be sold into slavery. So in Solomon's day, when this was written, a cosigner who could not pay uh, could put himself and his family at great, great risk. So even though the laws today differ quite a bit, still inability to pay a debt you have co-signed for is still a form of bondage that carries with it serious repercussions and penalties in the event we default on it. And so our text goes on to say in verse 4, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your Eyelids Don't even sleep. Deliver yourself, verse 5, like a gazelle. It's an illustration we could relate to. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand. Can you get this image of a gazelle fleeing to save his life when in the presence of a hunter? And also like a bird from the hand of a fowler. Just as a gazelle and a bird struggle to save their lives, so to a person ensnared by a foolish debt agreement should frantically fight to be free of it. Now, this may apply to some here today. Our words are important. Nonetheless, Solomon under inspiration says, if you have incurred responsibility for someone else's debt, That's not good. You've given up control to that person. God doesn't want you in that situation. Therefore, you ought to do everything reasonably in your power to persuade the other person to release you from your obligation so that you could be free of it. So, does the Bible then always prohibit the taking on of another person's financial obligations? I think the best answer is no. It does not always prohibit it. For instance, uh, do you remember the case recorded for us in Philemon in the uh, New Testament where Onesimus, a slave, also a brother in Christ, was sort of uh, defended by none none less than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote to uh, the owner of Onesimus saying this, In verse 18 of Philemon, but if he, Onesimus, has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that, Paul said, charge that to my account. So, in a sense, Paul did, out of a good, caring, compassionate heart, did enter in so as to assume the financial obligations of another brother in Christ. So, I don't think what we're talking about here is an absolute uh, prohibition on doing something uh, similar, but certainly the Bible clearly cautions us uh, about making this uh, a frivolous Uh, frequent uh, kind of activity, taking on financial obligations we may not be able to be. Now, here's the deal. When you co-sign on someone's loan, you are presuming upon your financial future. You you, you see, you may say, today, I could do this. Because if that person can meet his financial obligations, you may say, today, I have the financial wherewithal to help out. Yeah, but but you don't know what tomorrow holds. You see what I mean? That's why we're cautioned against these kinds of things because they presume upon the future. You could be laid off. There could be a, another great depression. Who knows what? And so that's one of the reasons why we're discouraged from, from this kind of thing. Now, uh, though this passage is, I think, strongly cautioning us against this activity, yet yeah, God does want us to be generous And helpful, but he wants us to be reminded uh, of rash promises we cannot easily be delivered from. And and think about this uh, with regard to co-signing on someone's loan. Am I wrong about this? Lending institutions, banks. I'm no financial expert. It's just a common sense thing. It seems to me banks only require um, folks with questionable credit to get a cosigner on the loan. Isn't that, am I missing something? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> banks like to loan money. They don't typically ask someone who's solvent and, and has the financial wherewithal, who's stable and reliable. Uh, the, the banks don't ask them to get a cosigner. They, they, are, they, they are reasonably certain you're gonna pay back your loan. They only ask someone of questionable integrity or credit or financial means. So uh, right at the outset, good night, you, you are committing to take care of the loan of someone who's um, not, um, not a good financial risk by definition. I mean the banks wouldn't be requiring he, he get a cosign or an auto loan or a school loan or something like that if they felt like they can count on. So what they're doing? they're asking you if you, will, uh, if you will receive, they want to transfer the risk onto you, and you say, yes, I'll do it. Well, you know the banks—they major on this stuff. They say we're not going to assume the risk. Will you? You know, in most cases, it's kind of a foolish thing to say. Yes, yes, I'll, I'll do it. Also, you should think—it uh, seems to me long and hard about this. Usually, this happens when it's a family member, and you love a family member. But you should think about uh, these things uh, before you obligate yourself. One, do you know co-signing on someone's loan—a son, a daughter, or a relative? Um, may unintentionally diminish that one's, that borrower's motivation to pay back the loan because they know you're going to be there (laughs) to sort of rescue them out of it. You, You, in essence, have given them an unrealistic notion of how the world works. You've essentially said, if you prove to be irresponsible, don't worry. I will rescue you from it. I, I, I will take care of your obligation. It seems to me that would demotivate a person from being uh, ver- very fervent about paying back their loan because they know you're the ace in the hole, so to speak. Uh, also, uh, did you know this kind of thing can easily jeopardize the well-being of your family? Remember I told you, when you co-sign on a loan, someone else's debt, the debt becomes yours. So you have, you have put in jeopardy all those who depend upon you for their financial wherewithal. Also, this whole practice could easily uh, jeopardize your relationship with the one, the friend or family member you co-signed for. Uh, This could really put you at odds with one another, create a tension I don't think um, God wants us to have. Also, you might be helping someone get something. It simply is not God's will for them to have at that time. Did you know that? It, it simply might not be God's. I mean, God's a great provider. If a person is not being provided for by God, maybe you shouldn't get in the way. Maybe God is saying to that person, I don't think it's good for you at this time to have that particular thing. So, so, so maybe you should just think, no, if I really love this person, I'm going to say no. But what if you really do love that person? Again, it's a relative, a child, somebody. Folks, did you know it's not love to say yes to a bad idea? Usually we say yes to bad ideas. Can I tell you when? Hope I'm not going to step on toes. When our need to be accepted by that person exceeds our wisdom. We have such a need to avoid being rejected that we'll just say yes to everything. Well, that's not an act. You know what that is? That's self-love. I love myself so much. I want to... Uh, spare myself the possibility of rejection so I'll say yes even to the goofiest most unreasonable requests by friends or family members. Now I want to read to you uh, something that uh, have you ever heard of Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey, Christian? Financial expert I think we could say. He has a question and answer column and I read this in his column. A lady uh, wrote a question and then he responded. So here's the lady's question. Dear Dave, uh, we've been getting on track financially using your plan. But now my husband's parents want us to co-sign a loan on a new car for them. I think it's a bad idea and, and have asked him, my husband, not to do this. We're just on baby step number two. So, so, so any catastrophe would really set us back, she writes. What if my husband does this anyway? Do you have any tips on grace or what to do besides the I told you so lecture? Sign Genevieve. Dear Genevieve, here's his response. You're right about one thing. Co-signing for that car would be a very bad idea, but I'm not sure this is the time for grace and understanding. I think this is one of those times when you stand in the driveway and don't let him leave. Just tell him no. No. I understand that we're talking about family and that makes it more difficult for him. But this guy needs to understand that he's putting your relationship in jeopardy. If he completely goes against your wishes on something you are adamantly opposed to. I'm serious about this. If the deal falls through, and there's a pretty good chance it will, it's not going to be just a setback or inconvenience for you guys. This kind of thing could potentially bankrupt your family. It could also cause big-time problems between your husband and his parents. You know why banks want co-signers, he writes? It's because they don't think the people who want the loan will pay the bill. You're basically being asked to stick your head in the noose so the bank can hang you when they don't pay up. Don't do it, Genevieve. Don't you ever co-sign for anyone and don't let this happen. In the contemporary English version of Scripture, he writes, Proverbs 17, 18 reads, It's stupid to guarantee someone else's loan. That's not me speaking. That's God's word, Dave. So there you go. No question about it. He doesn't think it's a good idea. I agree with him. So though the Scriptures pretty clearly uh, caution us against this kind of Practice to cover someone's loans because of the risks involved doesn't mean we shouldn't help someone if we have the financial wherewithal and a better way to do it is just give someone the money outright if you have it then don't obligate them to a bank and don't you be obligated to them just give it to them without any expectation of return if you're able so our lord and savior he is our eternal god uh, he's our Father who art in heaven. He wants us to be wise here on earth. Therefore, he's given us principles by which we are to live. And these principles extend even uh, to the area of how we manage our money. The principle of money man- management, which we have specifically been looking at tonight, strongly discourages us from signing off on someone else's debt. Why? God wants us to be in control of the monies we have and we absolutely give up control of it when we make a pledge to cover someone else's debt. They now have control over our money and this is not good stewardship of it. Now, Lord willing, next week, we're going to look at another specific topic of money management, specifically, what about the person who refuses to work so as to earn money for himself. We're going to talk next week, Lord willing, about the entitlement attitude of the day, which, by the way, gets people elected to office, sustaining the system. Let's see if the entitlement system squares With the wisdom of Solomon, inspired by God, in the book of Proverbs. That's what we'll look at next week. But uh, for tonight, as we close, don't miss this about God. This really struck me as I was studying this passage of Scripture. I was saying, Lord, are you sure? that I mean, you want this in there? I mean, this is not very inspirational. You know what I mean? It's just... It's just mundane. It's down to earth. It's about, you know, money stuff. Don't co-sign a loan. It's really going to be hard, Lord, you know, to get people excited about this. I don't, I don't get the whole deal. What, what's up? Well, why'd you put that in there? And then it suddenly dawned on me. Um, our Father who art in heaven, though he wants us to be focused on unseen eternal realities, is so loving he has provided for us until we get there. Wise principle of skillful living here and now. And it occurred to me, my goodness, he's the perfect dad none of us have ever had. He watches us, he guides us, he's concerned about it. Even the mundane, uh, seemingly non-sacred, non-spiritual matters of life like loans and debts and money our Father's even concerned about those things to the extent that they concern us. For those of us who've grown with absentee dads or irresponsible dads or distant dads or abusive dads, can you envision the possibility of having a dad so high and lifted up that he is in heaven, seated on the throne, but with the capacity to extend his watch, care, and guidance to us down here on earth so that every area of our life is subject to his guidance and scrutiny? No absentee dad at all. No, a very, very present help in time of need. Could I ask you, do you have a relationship with God like that? Do you have a It's rhetorical. You ask, answer this privately. Do you have a relationship with God like this? Is he daddy? Is he Abba Father? Are you walking with him? Do you believe he's walking with you? Are you doing, I guess the question is this, are you doing life together with the one who's our father who art in heaven, but who also became Emmanuel, God in the form of God in the form of man? to set the pace and guide us through life. This is not not about religion, is it? This is not about any of that formal stuff. No, no, I'm asking, do you have a relationship with God like this, where you can call upon him as we, we all would have wished perhaps we could have called upon our earthly dads? Some have had that privilege, others of us have not. Can you imagine almighty God has no beginning nor any end? He's transcendent deity. He's above even space and time. Can you imagine this God who said, yeah, but my eyes are on you. I know your name. I know your finances. In fact, I've entrusted them to you. And these are my principles given to you, my son, my daughter, so as to manage your finances. Can you imagine a relationship? Ship like that with Almighty God. Could I tell you something? Maybe you don't have one. Maybe you need one. You could, but there's a problem. Our sin. I know some of you don't like it when we bring this up, but that's the way it is. Uh, our sin. A man told me this not too long ago. Stuart, you were doing doing good until you brought up that sin stuff. You know, I, I agree with him. I would just like to take, tell jokes and. You know, talk about my doggies, whatever. But sin is in us, and it's caused a real problem. It has separated us from God because He's sinless. Can you imagine that? I've never met anyone like that. But that's God. That's why He's different. He's categorically different. Think about this. He's not been tempted to sin and has never committed any. Oh my, that's just hard to. But that's, that's how He. That's why He's called holy he's holy other he's untainted by human sin but that's not us we're unholy in fact we were conceived we got that's our start we might have been cute little kids but we were we were sinners even at that we were self-centered demanding narcissistic kids even though little cute cuddly babies if you saw our heart listen the heart of a baby is just as is just as ugly as as the heart of a seasoned adult sinner that's just that's our nature and here's the problem. It has separated us from God. Isn't that something? See, I'm comfortable with other sinners because I, I are one. And to be honest with you, I'm not even that repulsed by the, by the reality of sin because it's in my nature. Neither are you. In fact, I, if, if I don't give into it, I, I sure flirt with it. I mean, I'm, I'm tempted on every... This is my nature. But it's not God's. And, and that differentiation between us Causes, causes a separation. So the fundamental human problem, think about this, is that God yearns to be everybody's dad. <laughs> but our fundamental issue, our problem, has to be resolved first. How do I get to him? How, 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 do I, how, how can I overcome this, this chasm, this gap caused by my sin? Now, look, people in high places are diagnosing the world situation and telling us what the number one problem of the world today is. Someone has the uh, gall to suggest that it's the environment, environmental issues, global warning, that's like the big problem facing us. What? I'll tell you the solution to global warning, take off your sweater. <laughs> Boom. That's the big issue. For other people it's the economy or the Middle East, I mean, they're making light of these things, these are all issues. But, 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 but you know what the real fundamental human problem is? We're separated from the God who made us. How are we going to solve that? i got to tell you, no political party can solve it. I don't expect them to, do you? I mean, they can't do it. But Jesus did. I'm not making this up. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ, that means Messiah or anointed one, also. Died for sin once for all. What meaning his death 2,000 years ago addressed my sins committed 2,000 years later? Meaning his death 2,000 years ago addresses the sins I may commit tomorrow. For Christ died for sins once for all. Look at the just. For the unjust. You want to know something? Only he is just. In the Greek, that's in the singular. Then it says the unjust, that's in the plural. There's only one who's just, but there's plenty who are unjust. Look around. For Christ also died for sin once for all. The just for the unjust. Why did he do it? Listen. So that he might bring us to God. He's the one, the only one who could solve our fundamental human problem, separation from God. For Christ also died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. Why? So that he might bring us to God. How did he do this? Having been put to death in the flesh. End of story. But made alive in the spirit. I want to ask you a question. Do you have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with the creator of the universe. You can establish one tonight. It's so easy, it's hard. <laughs> but God made it easy, why? Because we can't do anything to merit it, be we're, we're worthy of it. Mm-mm. So it's easy for us, because it was very hard for Jesus. He died. Once for all sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. I want to say, you, it has nothing to do with religion. Nothing to do with anything. It has to do with saying, Heavenly Father, I need you to be the dad I never had. And I know you stand waiting to assume that position because you love being a dad. But I acknowledge I have separated myself from you through my sin. No more excuses. I'm going to call it what it is. Sin. Rebellion against you. I confess it. That means to agree. I agree with you. It's sin. And now I repent. You know what that means? It means to turn to God. And now I turn to you. Living Savior, Lord Jesus. Having been put to death but made alive. In the spirit, that's resurrection. I turn to you, living son of God. Come into my life, forgive my sin. Mediate a new relationship between me and your father so that your father could be my father. I need a mediator, a go-between because I'm so separated. I don't know how to access him. There's no ladder of good deeds and good intentions that I could build that will extend itself from earth... Uh, Into the heavenlies where the Father dwells. I can't do it. Therefore, you came down. I can't get up. You came down. Suffered. Died. Rose up from death for me. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Be the mediator. Take my hand, would you please? And join it into the hand of your Father. So that hand in hand, we could do life together. I need his guidance in financial matters and sexual matters and relational matters and occupational matters. (sighs) But the first thing that has to happen is I need his pardon. I need his cleansing. I need his blood applied to my sin. That's what I need. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Thank you for shedding blood for me. Bring me to your Father, so that I could pray, our Father who art in heaven. Folks, I want to encourage you. Don't leave this place without establishing a relationship with Almighty God, uh, the likes of which uh, you've never had. Like a father to a son, like a father to a daughter. Could I ask you to stand to your feet? Uh, We're going to take leave of one another now. And then I want to encourage you before you leave. If what I've said has stirred you up a little bit. It isn't me. But it's God himself. uh, We have people waiting for you in a room we call the Connection Center. I love it. it. It's where people can talk to you about getting connected to the God from whom we are by nature. Disconnected. They'll stand right in the back there, it's a beautiful room. You can enter it uh, from either direction, this way or that way, and you can say to people, um, I'm aimless, I'm wandering, I'm alienated, I'm disconnected, I'm confused, I'm disoriented. Uh, I never had somebody guide me through life. I hadn't never had anyone teach me principles of financial management and all the rest. I grew up in a single-parent home. I don't know who my daddy is. I do don't know who my daddy is, and I wish I didn't have him as a daddy. He did this to me. He did whatever it is. And that little Jewish guy up there said something about God as the dad I never had. I'm interested. Tell me something about him. That's what will happen in the Connection Center. I beseech you, uh, before you leave tonight, uh, we're, we're going to end just a little bit earlier. So just give you a little time. Go to the Connection Center. Find out. About the father heart of God. The God behind this. Who is interested even about how we handle something, frankly, as unimportant as money. And who yearns to have us uh, join with him one day face to face in heaven.